All right, so we are in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 7 in a few minutes. Um, We are continuing in our Everyday Gospel Sermon Series, and really, uh, we're going to, today we're covering what's oftentimes referred to as the Lord's Prayer. That's going to frame our sermons for the next three Sundays as we get ready to wrap up this sermon series. So we're only going to make it through uh, verse uh, probably 10 today, uh, 11 actually, Um, and then we'll come back next week into 12, and the next week after that into verse 13. Um, But as we get started today with the Lord's Prayer, I want to start with something that you may or may not be uh, familiar with, and that is reciting the Lord's Prayer together. Now, I know some of us maybe grew up in a church setting where that took place or vacation Bible school or other settings where the Lord's Prayer was recited by the Lord's people, and maybe you learned it in in a different translation. Maybe it was in the King James uh, translation, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Um, But we're going to say it together. We'll have the verses up on the screen um, out of the ESV just so that we're all saying the same words. Um, And so I want to do this together to get us started. So as we get ready to say the Lord's Prayer together, let us remember that this is not a JV prayer, okay? This is not the prayer you teach your kiddos uh, to pray until they get old enough to pray real prayers. This is varsity-level prayer from Jesus' perspective. Matter of fact, in the Gospel of Luke, where this same prayer is recorded, his very disciples are asking Jesus, teach us how we're supposed to pray. So these are the prayers of the disciples, the prayers of the apostles, the prayer of God's people as we say this together. So I'll, I'll begin uh, in verse, uh, I think this is verse 9. Pray then like this. Say it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All right, see, that wasn't that bad. We may do that over the next couple of Sundays just to see if we can get more in sync. But more than saying the words at the same time, really this prayer is meant to unify our hearts in in a proper posture and attitude towards the Lord in prayer. And so we're going to start in verses 7 and 8 together as we look at how the gospel impacts and informs the way we pray. Verse 7, Jesus begins and he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you Ask him. Now, it's interesting, before Jesus teaches us how to pray, he lets us know there's a wrong way to pray. Did you, ever, did you realize that? There's a wrong way to pray. Now, specifically, the way the Gentiles would pray is they would babble words over and over and over and over again, thinking that if they said it enough times that they would convince God, whoever God was, to do what they wanted to do. So this idea of, of empty phrases, it's the idea of like stammering or stuttering or repeating a word or a phrase over and over and over and over and over again, just kind of like babble. And so when we do that, when we think of it this way, when we come to God with a superstitious perspective, because that's kind of what that is, it was a superstition that we can convince God like a genie in the bottle if we do this over and over and over again. He'll do what we desire and what we want. And so what Jesus is saying, let's not be superstitious in our prayers. Right? It's not babbling or your many words that convince God to do what you're asking him. 
In verse 9, he says then, here's how I want you to pray. Pray then like this. In this first phrase, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I love this phrase. It's so helpful for us. Now, we're going to start with this idea that we're praying to our heavenly Father. God chooses to have his people call him Father. We didn't come up with that. That's not our nickname for God. That's not a metaphor to say God is like. God says to his people, I look at you as my children. Call me dad. Call me your father. And so the first thing that we have to acknowledge is that as people who pray, something's got to be repaired here if I'm going to call God dad. I mean, think about what that implies. It means I know him. Right? That means that not only do I know him, I love him, and I trust him, and he knows me, and he loves me. Something has to be repaired in my relationship with God if I'm going to call him dad. Now, any person in the world can call God God, right? Even non-believers in referring to God can call him God, but only those who know him can call him father. See the difference? And so the idea that we call God Father implies a a familial relationship with God. It's more than a relationship with a far-off deity or a genie in a bottle that we're trying to convince to do what we want to do. We're approaching God in the context of a relationship that has been provided for us through Jesus. You can't call God Father without the cross. Follow me? And so first and foremost, the gospel opens up Real prayer for us that we might call God Father or Dad. Now, I know that a lot of our heavenly or our earthly father relationships maybe have not been the greatest example and haven't informed us on what that's supposed to look like. I I think about my own relationship with my father. Um, It was very thin, to say the least, for most of my adult life. Um, We had a few epic moments in between prison stints where I would spend a week with him and he would take me to do all the fun things for a week and then I would go back home to ordinary life and then I wouldn't see him again for a year or two years or three years. And, you know, we finally reconciled um, our relationship in the last two weeks. I mean, really reconciled it in the last two weeks of his time here on earth. And it was a sweet, sweet two weeks. You know, I I think about my father often and, and, and even dream about him. And you know, when I dream about my dad, I don't dream about those epic moments in the mountains. You know what I dream about? Ordinary moments with dad. See, that's what I missed out on. Longing for ordinary moments with my dad. I had a dream the other day that my dad came home from work and brought me my favorite dessert. That never happened in my life. I mean, that's what I long for with my father, and I missed out on. But God is saying, listen, but you're not missing out on that with me. Every time you step into prayer, you're stepping into an extraordinary, ordinary moment with dad. Right? It's one thing to come home from, a travel, from travel or being out of town, and the kids run up and embrace you and throw their arms around you and say, I missed you, daddy. But it's another thing for that to happen when they get out of bed in the morning. Right? Just an ordinary getting out of bed and then to come in and wrap you up and say, I love you. I missed you. It's good to see you. And that's what prayer is for us. It happens within a familial context. God, to the Christ follower, is your father. He's your dad. Matter of fact, we're we're called by Scripture to call him Daddy, Daddy. Abba, Father. And so Jesus says, you want to pray varsity prayers? Start here. Call God Dad. 
Now, the phrase, our Father in heaven, is tempered by a second phrase, hallowed be thy name. Now, that word hallowed, we don't use a whole lot, but what it means is it means to approach something with reverence and respect. So while there is a familial component and context in which I pray to God, there's also a context of reverence, right? So it's not, it's not about me stepping into my dad's presence to enjoy time with him and being disrespectful. There's a sense of awe and wonder and reverence that I even get to be in his presence at all. And so Jesus says, we pray this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed, set apart, reverent are you, God, hallowed be your name. I think about Hebrews chapter 4, there's a verse that we love to quote in the church, but I don't know that we always quote it within, the, within view of the context. We talk about entering into the throne room of God's grace with confidence and boldly, and we usually use that verse to encourage people to pray. Come into God's presence boldly. Say anything you want. Just be yourself. Just let him have it. And if we read it in context, Hebrews 4, starting in verse 14 Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. That's a big picture, isn't it? Since we have this great, not just a priest, but a high priest, this this high priest who has passed through the heavens, he's, he's come from the throne of heaven to earth and now has returned back to heaven. That's a big deal. No other priest has done that for us, right? We have this high priest, Jesus, Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And we have this this reverent, far-off, majestic God who has come near to us, and he knows our deepest temptations and pains and sufferings. So on one hand, we have this majestic, wonderful, awe-inspiring God who also knows what it is like to be a human being, to cry, to suffer, to weep, to be tempted. And then we come to verse 16, the therefore, the, the conclusion is, let us with then with confidence draw near. This is a calling into prayer, a calling into God's presence. Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's a call to prayer because of what Jesus has done, passing from the heavenlies to earth, returning back to the heavenlies. He's opened up this way into the throne room of God. And it's not just any old throne room, is it? It's a throne room of what? Grace. Why do we need grace? Because we don't deserve to be there. That we might receive what? Mercy and what? Grace in our time of need. Confidence is what we're called to, 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 is how we're called to approach God's presence here. But confidence does not equal without reverence. Follow me? Confidence does not mean without reverence. So to just say, just go into God's presence however you want to, whenever you want to, say whatever you want to, right? To, to approach God's throne flippantly because of what Jesus has done is not what the scriptures are saying. But to confidently and boldly enter into God's throne room. Why? Because it's a throne room of grace. And as you enter it, you're, 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 very made, you're made very much aware of the fact that I need God's grace if I'm going to be here. 
Our confidence to step into God's presence in prayer is rooted in what Jesus has done for us. No cross, no entering into God's throne room with boldness. You can enter into God's throne room with deadness, struck downness. But because of what Jesus has done, we're received into God's presence. He's not only our Father, He's also our King. I love one of my favorite lines from C.S. Lewis, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia. This is a conversation between the beaver and Lucy. And Lucy's trying to find out about Aslan the lion from the beaver. And the question comes out, is he safe? You guys may be familiar with this line. It's one of my favorite lines that C.S. Lewis wrote in his fiction works. And the beaver replies to Lucy about Aslan, who represents Jesus, safe. Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And as Jesus opens up this idea of prayer for us, this varsity-level prayer, he says, listen, you're approaching your father. Call him dad, but do so with great reverence because your father is the king. Your father is majestic and set apart, and, and his name is Hallowood. And, right, this, this idea of awe and wonder should fill us in prayer. Like, we don't need signs and miracles to fill us with awe and prayer. The reality that God has called us into his presence should fill our hearts with wonder and awe. That's my dad. He's majestic. He's big. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's just. And that's my dad. There must be a balance between our awe and wonder and our intimacy in calling God Father. Now, the next thing Jesus says is, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, that phrase is not hard to pray in light of world tragedies. We've had a, a, a kind of a, a run of tragic events here in the U.S. in the last week, week and a half. From attempted pipe bombings to the synagogue in Pittsburgh yesterday, the mass shooting. Right? We hear those kinds of things. It's not hard to pray, oh God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bring your justice to these situations. Stamp out evil and tragedy. But it's another thing altogether to pray that personally. Not just out there in the world, bring your justice and your kingdom, but here in my heart, bring your justice and your kingdom. Because remember, we're praying to whom? Our Father. Your kingdom come in my life. Your will be done in my life. When we pray, your will be done, it's so important that we understand you're not giving God permission to carry out his will. Your will be done is not a, okay, I'm going to step aside, God. I'm going to let you be God now in this situation, but don't mess it up. Right? It's not what you're doing. You're not giving God permission. What you're doing is you're aligning your heart with his. You're submitting your heart to his. You're submitting your will to his. You're saying, God, have your way with me. Not only am I acknowledging your will is better than mine, I'm embracing your will. Your will be done here in my life as it is in heaven. 
And this causes us to see God as an authority. Did you know that? The voice of God is a voice to be obeyed. I know, obedience is just kind of taboo. It's not politically correct in our culture today. But listen, God's authoritative voice in your life, when you pray and you hear the Holy Spirit, it is an authoritative voice that leads to your good. It's not arbitrary. It's not up for debate as a Christ follower. When we hear the voice of God through his word and through his Holy Spirit, it's an authoritative voice to be obeyed. And we're saying, your will be done. What we're saying is, God, I desire to obey your will for my life as a husband, as a father, as a Christ follower, as a, an employee, as an employer, as a, as a friend. I desire to walk in obedience to you. Not only are we acknowledging God as an authority, we're acknowledging him as an author. That's where it becomes incredibly important and personal for us as Christ followers because of what Jesus has done on the cross. God has opened up a way for you and I to submit the authorship of our stories to him and say, God, write a better story with my life. See, that's what salvation is. You're bringing to God the script that you've written thus far Right With all of the twists and turns, all the corruption and scheming, all of the mess that you've made, and you're saying, God, this didn't work out quite like I was thinking. I've kind of wrecked the whole thing. Here, God, you write the rest of my story. Your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. It allows us to see God as an authority and as an author when we pray this way. And then the last phrase we're going to look at today, give us this day our daily bread. Now this is a reference to an Old Testament moment in the life of Israel where they were wandering through the wilderness and God provided daily what they needed through manna. This is a really important part of the story. I know we don't talk about it a lot in, in church, but to put it into context of sequence, of sequence of events, the nation of Israel has been rescued by God out from under the oppression of Pharaoh in Egypt. Now they're wandering in a, in a desert. Now, God did this through, this through these miraculous plagues. Like, it was big time. God showed up as not only father or dad, but all-powerful, all-knowing God who can do anything. And for a moment, Pharaoh relents. Uh, his, his ownership of the slaves of the nation of Israel tells them to get out of town. They take off. They're wandering through the wilderness, and they start to get hungry. And the first thing they do is they start to grumble, complain, and say things like, God, have you brought us out here in the wilderness just to kill us? You're letting us get hungry? Any other people get hangry in here? Isn't it, isn't it interesting how quickly hunger goes to anger? Just an everyday need and longing and desire can so quickly turn into anger. I can get edgy. I can speak harshly to people I love. Why? Because I need a burrito. <laughs> now, that reveals something about our hearts, doesn't it? How quick we are to grumble. Paul Tripp says, grumbling is the background drone of a discontent heart. Grumbling is just the, the, the slight droning and rumbling of something deeper going on on the inside. Saying to God, I don't trust you. I don't believe you. 
I don't believe that you're for my good. Whether you're grumbling over being hungry, you're grumbling over having to fix your car again, grumbling over, why didn't I get the promotion? Grumbling over, right? Grumbling reflects something going on in the heart. It's discontentment and a lack of trust of God as your dad. And so when Jesus says, pray this way, he's reminding us of how God miraculously, despite their grumbling, came to them and provided exactly what was needed. Daily, they were to collect the manna and just just eat what they needed for that day and not keep any to the next. Why? Because God said, I want you to trust me for tomorrow. And on, on the, the day before the Sabbath, collect enough for two days, right? Why? Because I want you to take a day off and rest. And I want you to trust me for the Sabbath. Trust me. I'm your father and I'm also the king. Give us this day, our daily bread. Think about this. How many people in this room asked Jesus to go to the cross? I know it's an obvious question, somewhat rhetorical. That shows us how good God is, right? He made a way for us. He provided what we need for eternal salvation before anyone on earth ever asked for it. That shows us his intentions towards us, doesn't it? It shows us that he's proactive as a good father, meeting our ever need before our need even arises. So Jesus is saying, listen, don't forget that's who God is. That's who your father is. Pray then this way. God, just give me what I need for today. Now, that's not a um, prosperity gospel go-to verse, is it? Just give me enough. But you know that's what God's promised his people? Malachi 3, uh, verse 10, where God calls his people to bring the tithe into the storehouse. He says, bring the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the window of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing. We like to stop right there, don't we? Oh, that sounds awesome. I'm going to get rich. But look at the last few words. Until there is what? No more need. That's what God has provided to to provide. That's what God has promised to provide for his people. What we need. So Jesus says, you want to pray varsity prayer? Let's pray this way. Father, Dad, I'm so honored to be in your presence. It is a gift of grace that I can stand before you because you're also my king. That I can stand in your presence and not be struck down dead means your throne room is a throne room of grace and mercy. Oh God, I believe your ways are better than my ways. Your wisdom is better than my wisdom. So, because that's true, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth and in my heart as it is in heaven. And oh yeah, I was going to ask for some things, so here's what I'm going to ask for. God, just give me what I need. I trust you. Just give me what I need. Give us this day our daily bread. Now I want to I land here with something that I've been wrestling with for some time as a pastor and even had this conversation with um, David Horsborough, one of our, our community group leaders recently, 
about when we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and we don't respond. I, I was reminded this week that when I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, whether it's crystal clear, unmistakably, I know what he says, or a sense of things, right, a prompting of things, and I'm sitting in church, and we're reading his word, and, and he shows me something about my life. You know what? I think God really wants me to do something about such and such. When we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, we're hearing a voice of authority. It's a voice to be obeyed. And I think as God's children, sometimes we lose sight of that, that somehow God's voice just comes to us in a suggestive format. Hey, here's just some things to think about this week that might make your life better format. When God speaks, you're hearing a voice of authority that is to be obeyed. And so in moments like this, if you've heard from God today, maybe he's convicted you and and caused you to think about your own prayer life and the way you approach him and the things you ask for and and how you address him. Maybe God's convicted you on those things. Then our response as his children is to do what? To submit to that. And that's between you and God. But I want to lay that before you today as you hear from God. You may hear more of this from me in the weeks and months to come, that as we hear the voice of God as his children, he's calling us to obey. I'm gonna leave that with you this morning. I don't know how God may have spoken to you today. And maybe you're here today, and for the first time you're hearing that, that God did something for you before you even asked. Maybe you're hearing this word gospel, and you're like, what does that word even mean? Can I just share with you the good news? At just the right time, God sent his son from his throne room of glory and power and majesty to humble himself and to step into the human story in a little town called Bethlehem around 2,000 years ago. And his son Jesus walked in our flesh and our skin. He experienced our sorrow and our suffering and our temptation, yet he was found without sin. He lived a perfect life for you and me. He earned that spot in God's throne room for us, and he's offering that as a gift to us simply by trusting in him, by believing in Jesus. Our sins are forgiven. Every disqualifying marker in my life is erased. Anything to keep me out of heaven is now gone, and and he gives to me his righteousness that I might step into God's presence now here on earth and one day eternally in heaven with confidence. That gift is for you. And if that's you, I'm going to encourage you before you leave today to take that step of trusting Jesus. We'll have prayer partners at the front of the room and at the back if you'd like to talk with somebody. They'd be honored to talk with you and pray with you as you make that decision. Let's pray together. Our worship team will come forward and our prayer partners will take their position as well. Father, thank you for this powerful reminder this morning. God, from the Lord's Prayer, a passage of Scripture that we often take for granted. God, a passage of Scripture that many of us consider to be JV or novice, and today you've opened our eyes to see that this is how you're calling us to pray, to see you both as our Father and an all-powerful King. Thank you, Father, for welcoming us into your presence. And now, God, as you've spoken and continue to speak to our hearts this morning, I pray you would call us into sweet submission. 
that we would pray together, God, your will be done in my heart, in my life as it is in heaven. Father, for any person here who does not know you personally, God, I pray today would be the day of salvation, that they would take that step of faith and trust in Jesus and him alone. We pray these things in his name.